Nice. Appreciate it. Appreciate. Thank you for Charles for that uh, generous uh, introduction. Uh, I'm pumped to be here. It's it's cool to see what God has done. Uh, actually, it was uh, Christopher earlier. Uh, like when I got here, was like, do you realize we've known each other for eight years? Um, so no, I didn't realize that. Um, but he knew like the exact place in the weird white van, he said, that we met each other at Sonic. So apparently that was a thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, my wife and I lead the team at Frostburg State University. Um, some of you know Jonathan and Kate who are on our team. We are about to have a fifth member of our team because they are about to pop a kid out at any minute. Uh, so it's about to happen. Uh, also, we've been fortunate to have some of you guys come up and lead worship for us at our large group a couple times. So that was sweet. Uh, it's awesome that we can have impact on each other uh, since we're only literally an hour apart. So that's pretty sweet. Um, so what you may not know, well, some of you know, I am actually from West Virginia originally. Uh, I'm not from Maryland originally. I, I've made peace with the fact that God has called me to Maryland, and I'm glad that he did. But I haven't felt the call yet to root for the University, University of Maryland sports. So I'm still a Mountaineer fan. Yes. I will, have, however, root for Frostburg State, uh, wholeheartedly even. Uh, I don't think they will ever play WVU, so it'll be great. But it does mean I'm rooting against my alma mater, Fairmont. Uh, but that's all right. I wasn't really a fan when I was there. So, um, but yeah, it's cool to be here now because I remember when this thing started just a few years ago. Probably some of you do as well. Uh, obviously, the staff does. Uh, but it's cool to see where God has taken it. Right, because I remember what that process looked like, and um, it's cool to see the growth that has happened here, just over a short amount of time. But also at the same time, it's cool that there was a foundation laid to support that growth. Because if something grows too fast, of course, it will crumble under the weight if there is no foundation set. So it's cool that. Several years ago, or a few years ago, your staff and a few select students came and they began to build that foundation, and they were determined to see it succeed. And there were a few students who said, I don't know what this Chi Alpha, is, this Chi Alpha thing is fully yet, but I'm going to commit myself to seeing it succeed, because I believe that God is in it, right? And so that beginning period... Uh, of this Chi Alpha is probably over, but there still is a need for those students who will stand up and say, I am committed to seeing this thing succeed, and I am committed to continue to build that foundation because I believe something is going, to, that God is going to use WVU Chi Alpha to grow even more and to impact even more in fact, to impact around the world. I believe what happens here in the lives of believers at WVU will be felt around the world. And in order for that growth to happen, there has to be a solid foundation that is 
constantly being strengthened, that is constantly being grown, right? And that happens with dedicated staff, which you have, and students who are willing to say, I will dedicate myself to seeing this, this thing succeed for God's glory, right? Now, so my goal here tonight is to see that foundation strengthened. I'm not a student here. I'm not staff here. But I hope that God can use me to strengthen that foundation that you guys have laid. So that is my goal tonight. And I believe that that is an important goal because we're going, we're going to be in Ephesians here in a minute. And that book was written by Paul, I believe, to do a very similar thing to the, people, the, to the church at, Ephes- at Ephesus, right? So, and actually, there's some similar, similarities, I think, between Ephesus and WBU. But Paul wrote that book of the Bible to strengthen their foundation because he knew the potential that could happen there. He knew what God could do through that city and through a group of believers who determined to make his name great and to share the gospel around the world, okay? So that is my goal. Um, and I think one of, the, one of the similarities between WBU and, and uh, Ephesus is that, so it was, it was a major hub back in the day. It was actually a seaport. And it was in between like the main part of the Roman Empire and the rest of, like, Greece and Asia and all that stuff. So it was a main seaport in there. And every day, there were people going in and out of that city that would go around the world. And I think that is not unlike WVU. Because, just like a lot of college campuses, there are people that are coming through here that will go out to the rest of the world. And what happens here in your lives will affect the world, right? So, example of this is y'all are going on spring break trips, right? In like two weeks? Okay, awesome. Uh, We're actually joining one of the teams, by the way. Yeah, let's go. Uh, But spring break trips uh, will have an impact around the world. You guys are going all over the place, if not in spring break, then in the summer. Y'all are going everywhere, right? Another example is international students. International students that come here from around the world. And if they can get the gospel here, and if they can understand discipleship here, and they can go back to be missionaries wherever they are, if they can go back to disciple small groups wherever they are, that impact will be felt around the world. Not to mention alumni who are here, of which you will be one one day. And they are scattered across the world and around the country. And if they can get the message of Jesus here, they can carry that wherever they go to share the gospel around the world. So, so much is at stake, right? So much is at stake here and at Ephesus. And that is why Paul wanted to write this specific book. And so what did he decide to write to this strategic location, to this strategic place that could have an impact on the world? What did he feel was most important to share? He chose to write about the grace and the love of God 
and how that would affect how we live our lives, especially how we live with each other. Of all the things he could have talked about, which, I mean, that's, you know, core to the gospel, right? The love of God, right? But also how that impacts how we live and how that interaction should be with each other. So, if you would turn to me to Ephesians 4, or it will probably be on the screen too. Um, While you're doing that, though, let me give you a little bit of background. Paul was writing to this church uh, because there was some tension in the believers, uh, mainly because some of the believers had a Jewish background, and then other believers had just no background in any religion at all, or at least not any, uh, well, yeah, they had some weird stuff going on. Let's be real. All right, they had some weird religions going on. Uh, But they had the Jewish believers and then everybody else. And the Jewish believers, if you kind of want to compare it to modern day, so it'd be like kind of if this room was filled with half of y'all were a bunch of church kids, uh, that you know knew all the Sunday school stories and knew all the answers and knew that there were 66 books in the Bible and could name them all. And then the other half of the room was like, I didn't even know about Jesus until I got to college. I'm pumped now about it. But before then, I didn't even know the Bible was more than one book. I just knew that there was something, right? So that's basically the setting here. You've got two sets of believers. They both are Christians now, but until this point, they had very, very different backgrounds, Okay. So, Paul is writing because some of these from a Jewish background uh, started to get a big head and started to get a little bit arrogant and started to be domineering towards uh, the other group, saying, you got to do this and you got to do that. And they were basically just being jerks and they were being arrogant. So, Paul writes to correct this. And he says, in the first part of Ephesians, he explains the gospel and how Jesus came And he died for us as a free gift so that all could have fellowship with him again one day. He said, up until this point, all of us were heading to hell. All of us were heading for destruction, right? But Jesus came with grace that could not be earned. There was nothing that we could do to earn this salvation. There's nothing we could have done to deserve this thing. It was a free gift to all by God, right? And so he's like, you, you have nothing to be arrogant about. It doesn't matter that you were raised in a Jewish background. It doesn't matter that you knew the scriptures. It doesn't matter. The fact is, you were all on equal footing, all going to hell until Jesus came to offer freely his gift of eternal life and eternal communion with him, right? And now, because they all accepted this free gift, they were on equal footing. He's like, your background didn't matter. Fact is, now you're one in Christ. You're one in Christ. And then he goes on and says, here are some of the things that y'all been doing that need to stop. Uh, and he begins to teach how the grace of God that he explained in the first part affects their lives, right? And affects how they should interact with each other. And so we're going to read, we're going to pick it up in Ephesians 4, verse 20. Ephesians 4, verse 20. 
But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this was a theme that ran throughout the New Testament that when one would get saved, he says to, to put on the old self that was sinful, to put on the, off the old self uh, that didn't know God and to put on the new self, basically to be renewed. Um, and then he goes on to say, therefore, having put away falsehood, so they were probably lying to each other a decent amount, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. He said, we're one in Christ. Again, he's repeating what he said earlier in the, in the part of the chapter that we didn't read. Uh, you remembers one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. So he's not saying never be angry. There are certain reasons to get angry, right? But he said do not sin in that anger. And also, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let it get to, don't let it stick around too long. Anger leads to bigger, bitterness. Uh, but give no opportunity to the devil. He's saying stay out of sketchy situations. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. Stop being greedy. Be generous with each other. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So don't don't badmouth each other. Don't talk behind each other's back. Honor each other. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant, and, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the first part of that passage is him saying, here's some stuff you're doing that needs to stop. This is causing division among you, right? This is not good for you. It's not good for God. It's not good for each other. And then the second half of this, it's talking about how to forgive as Christ forgave you, right? He just, he just got done telling them this entire uh, sermon about how Jesus came and forgave us and died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven and have, uh, and have communion with God in eternity. But in between these two passages, or these two portions of this passage, there's this little verse, verse 30, it kind of seems out of place at first, uh, but I would say that it actually ties these two together. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, what does that mean? What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to grieve God? Uh, there's an ODG named C.H. Spurgeon, which I hope some of you have heard of, that said, grief is a sweet combination of anger and love. 
Grief is a sweet combination of anger and love. All right? And so have you ever heard the phrase that grief is proportional to intimacy? Have you ever heard that one? So, what Paul is saying here is that God's grief comes when we sin. God's grief comes when we sin. He grieves when we sin because he knows the full consequence of sin. Not only that, but since grief is proportional to intimacy or grief is proportional to love, if you want to use it that way, because he loves us so much, his grief is great. The anger part of grief comes when he sees that the sin is in our lives. Uh, in these verses, Paul is saying that they are lying to one another. They are bitter with one another. They're stealing from each other. They're being greedy. And he's saying that God is grieving about this because he loves us so much. And when he sees the sin that is happening and gets angry because he says, I have something better for you, right? He sees the sin in our lives. He says, I have something greater for you. He, he, see, God, or the Bible says that God sees more than we do, right? That his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's an infinite God. He's an eternal God. And he sees what effect the sin has on our lives on an eternal scale. Not only what it has on our lives, but the people around us, right? How that affects the people around us. How the, it affects people further down the road. He sees that that sin and how it can affect all these things, and it causes him grief. Because sin always leads to disunity. Sin always causes division, and sin always has consequences. Sin always causes pain. And he's saying it grieves the Holy Spirit when you sin because he longs to know you intimately, and he longs to have a relationship with you. And he longs to have to be best friends with you and to be your father and to be your God and to be close to you. And sin comes between that and it grieves him when sin becomes between that because he loves you and cares about you and wants to be with you. And so it causes grief on his side. And I think sometimes we don't really understand this. Um, because we don't have the same love that God has for us, right? And so I think maybe a, an example, a small example of this would be, you ever, like, okay, if you have a decent mom, she gets mad at you from time to time. And uh, hopefully it's because she loves you, right? You ever done something, uh, something dumb and she freaks out about it? And you're like, what's the big deal? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's because, hopefully, because she see, has seen that sin played out before. Because she has seen that thing played out and where that could take you down the road. And it seems like maybe not such a big deal. For instance, with the church here, he's saying, you know, so they lie to each other every once in a while. What's the big deal? They're angry with each other and they hold on to it for a while. What's the big deal? They're a little bit greedy. They, 
They talk behind each other's back. What does that matter? That grieves God to a point that we can't even understand because he not only has an infinite amount of knowledge to see where that sin will take us, but he infinitely loves us to the point where it grieves him when we sin because it hurts us and it hurts others and it hurts our relationship with him. So, the thing is, okay, so another example. Uh, and this isn't like a sin thing, but my brother was in a car wreck uh, a few years back, and he almost died, and he lost a whole lot of blood, and it was a mess, and he almost died from it, and so he had to have surgery, and we were in the hospital like all night, and he was obviously out. I mean, he was having surgery, he was going through all kinds of things, he was in ICU, and like he was out of it for a couple days, right? But my mom and my dad were there, and I was there, of course, and as they saw the pain and saw the things that had happened to him and saw the suffering that was ahead of him, they began to grieve. My parents began to grieve for the fact that that was happening to their son. And my parents began to see the pain that was in his future and to see how that could affect him, not only him, but those around him. And they began to grieve in that moment. The thing is, though, like I said, my brother was out of it. He didn't feel any pain at that moment, right? He was asleep. He didn't feel any pain. He didn't feel the bumps and the bruises and the scratches and the stitches and the surgeries. He didn't feel any of those things because he was still asleep. That doesn't mean the reality of the pain didn't exist. It meant he was asleep. But my parents saw that pain that was coming in his future as soon as he would wake up. They saw that pain and what that would do to our family. They saw that pain to what it would do for him, and it grieved them. And I think that's how it is with God sometimes is we have this sin that we don't think is that big of a deal, but we're still asleep. God knows on an infinite perspective the pain that can come with that sin. God knows how that can affect us in the future and how it affects those around us when we're not even aware of it. And it grieves him, right? And so my parents loved my brother so much. And the thing is, like, I cared, obviously. He's my brother, right? But, like, my mom and dad, like, their love is on another level, right? Because they're his parents. And that's how God's love is, right? Like, we can care about one another. I mean, I'm sure there's people in this room or your best friend or whatever that did something stupid, and you grieved for them because you knew it was going to affect their lives. But the fact of the matter is, God's love is on another level from that, right? It's on a whole nother level. And they loved him so much that even when he couldn't feel the pain himself, it grieved them. God loves us so much that even when we don't feel the pain immediately, or in the extreme amount that we would, it still grieves God. 
And the anger part of that grief, where you know, C.H. Spurgeon said um, that grief is a sweet combination of anger and um, love. There we go. Um, the anger part of that is that he's mad at the fact that that's happening to us. Right? Now, sometimes, it, well, in our sin, we, we choose that sin, right? So, so that angers God. But the majority of his anger, per se, is directed at the offense when it is us. He loves us. He loves us deeply. Just like your mom or your dad, when they got angry at you for doing something stupid, they were angry with you, sure, because they loved you, and really, they were most angry with the offense. They were most angry with the sin. So grief is a sweet combination between anger and love. Grief is proportional to intimacy. God has great grief when we sin because his love is great. Our grief over sin would be great if our love for God was great. It's proportional to intimacy. It's proportional to love. The more we love God, the more we will understand his grief over sin. The more we love God, the more we will share his grief over sin. So we've talked about our sin and how it affects God and how it puts a divide between us and God and how it puts disunity between us and God. But not only does it bring disunity and divide between us and God, it puts disunity and divide between each other. Uh, the second group, or the two groups in the, in, in the church in Ephesus, the Jewish background believers and the non-Jewish background believers, they had to divide because of the sin. Sin always divides. Sin always divides. And here's the deal. Paul is saying to them that they are grieving God because of this sin. But he's also saying in the second part, here's how that can be fixed. Not that the consequences of sin entirely go away, but here's how to bring unity and fellowship back between you and God and each other. Let's just read uh, 31 through 5-2 again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Paul is saying in this moment, that yes, all this stuff, the sin happened, and it grieves God. And in fact, he's saying, stop this. Stop this nonsense. Stop this sin. There are eternal consequences that you don't even see yet. It grieves God in a way that you don't even understand yet. But here's the deal. He knows the sin exists, and he knows that every day, new believers were coming in, right? So even if all these Christians stopped their sinning immediately, 
there were new believers coming in, and there would be new sins to deal with. He's saying we can't get rid of all sin if we expect new believers to come in, if we expect new people from the world to come in. Not all sin will stop anytime soon, but we, what we can do is when someone sins, when sin happens, repentance and forgiveness bring unity. Repentance and forgiveness bring unity. Because sin always causes a divide, right? No matter what, sin always causes a divide, either between us and God or between us and others. Unforgiveness grows that divide. Sin always causes a divide. Unforgiveness always grows that divide. So, how this becomes fixed is through repentance and forgiveness. This is what Christ did for us when he sent his son. Even before we were willing to repent, he was willing to forgive. And what we need to do with each other is forgiveness as well. To see that divide no longer grow, to see that divide cut off and unity again. Paul saying that we must forgive each other just as Christ forgave you. We must forgive each other just as Christ forgave you. What did I just say about his forgiveness, right? Is that he was willing to forgive even before we were willing to repent. With each other in the room, or somebody in your family, or your friend that isn't here, or whatever, we have to be willing to forgive before they're even willing to repent. Even if they never do. We have to be willing to forgive and to forgive even before they're willing to repent. That is how Christ loved us. All right? So, forgiveness and repentance lead to healing, lead to joy, and lead to peace and unity. He felt it was so crucial to share this with this strategic town called Ephesus. He felt it was so strategic it was so important to teach them this because he knew that what happened in Ephesus, the effects of that would, ha- would be felt around the world. And so he wanted to build that foundation stronger because that foundation is built on forgiveness, right? That foundation is built on the gospel. It's built on God forgiving us and us forgiving each other. That foundation needs strengthened. So he wrote this letter to them. And there are other awesome stuff in this letter, which I think you guys are going to be hearing about for the next couple of weeks, if I remember correctly. But in order to shore up the foundation in Ephesus, he said they need to know the gospel, God's love, and they need to know how that affects how they act with each other. Grief happens when we sin, and sin divides, but repentance and forgiveness unites. He's saying if the people at Ephesus would get this, would get the grief that sin causes, and would get the, the full effect of forgiveness over that sin, their foundation would be strong. God will use them. God can grow them. And that church can thrive. And that church will be able to affect the gospel around the world, affect affect the kingdom around the world with the gospel. That same thing is true of Morgantown, is true of WVU, 
It's true of believers at WVU. That if you get this, if you get that sin brings grief and divides, but forgiveness and repentance unites, your foundation can be strong to see God's name made great on your university. Not only in your university, but around the world as you go on spring break trips, as you impact people who will go around the world themselves. Uh, you've probably heard the phrase, if you want to change the world, lead a small group. Some of you have that opportunity. It can change the world from here. But it's crucial that you build that foundation strong so that it doesn't crumble under the weight of the growth. And that foundation is built upon God's love and how that affects how we treat each other, right? So, we, talk, we can talk about this idea, this foundation being built. We can talk about it. But it has to happen individually before it can happen collectively. So, are you willing to do your part to fix the foundations in your life? Are you willing to do your part to say, I will build my foundation strong so that God can use me to grow? So that God can use me for his kingdom? Remember, I talked about way back, there were a few students along with the staff members who said, I commit myself to making this thing succeed. If I remember right, I think Jeff is one of those students, right? Taylor Albertini probably is another one, among others that admittedly I don't know. <laughs> uh, but those students who came before you said, I commit myself to seeing this thing grow, but I know that I must get the character of God in my life. And that means acknowledging the grief of God over my sin and committing myself to repentance and forgiveness for those around me, right? So are you willing to do your part in that? Are you willing to say, I will build my foundation personally so that we can see the foundation of WVU Chi Alpha built collectively? Because it starts individually before it can go corporately, okay? So we have two responses for you tonight. First, is there something that you need to repent and turn away from that grieves God? Or is there something in my life that grieves God that I must repent and turn away from? This is a scary uh, question to ask yourself. Um, is there something in my life that grieves God that I must repent and turn away from? The second is this. Does your unforgiveness towards someone grieve God? If so, then forgive just as Christ forgave you. That means forgiving before they ever think to ask for repentance, right? Being ready to forgive. Is there for unforgiveness in my life that grieves God? This is what builds the foundation. This is the message that Paul felt was so important to tell this church in Ephesus so that they could grow, so that they could, could have an awesome relationship with Christ, primarily. And that is just as important as the church in Ephesus as a whole. Your relationship with Christ 
is just as important as WVU's role to play. Your role is just as important, and your relationship with Christ is just as important as WVU Chi Alpha's relationship with Christ. It starts personally before it can go corporately. So if you would, sincerely ask yourself these two questions. And then if God would have you do something about that, maybe it means forgiving someone in the room. Maybe it means forgiving someone at home. Now, a word of advice, if they don't know that they've offended you, don't be like, hey, I forgive you. Uh, that can get awkward. Um, but be ready and willing in your heart to say, I forgive you. And tell God, I forgive them. Even if you never say it to them, that's okay. Maybe if they come to you and say something about it, then you can be like, I forgive you wholeheartedly. It's all good. We're brothers. We're sisters. But is there any sin in your life that grieves God? Is there any unforgiveness in your life that grieves God? 